my freshman year, um, I came in and probably the fittest I've ever been in my life. Um, super ready and gung ho about the season, and then I uh, injured my foot during a practice fitness test. And so I started. I already started off on the back foot, um, trying to get in the coach's favor and trying to get in the lineup, whatever. So my first three, four weeks of the season was just coming off the bench and like providing like minutes just for other guys to get rest. And that's obviously something I've never experienced and it was really tough for me to go through because I've never been in someone's shadows for that long. Like I, always, I expected to come to Yale and play right away. And I think everyone in my class did as well. So just experiencing that as a class that was ranked so high and just being put in our place really was a wake up call to say, I have to do more. So I just started training by myself and then by the end of the season, I was starting an Ivy League play. It's Football Friday. Welcome to another episode of Across the Line. Last week, we had Stefan Schrock on the show. This time, we're going in the opposite end of the spectrum with one of the more talented youngsters coming through the ranks. But he is making waves right now in the United States, in the Ivy League, to be specific, with Yale University. We've got Mark Wynn Hopper on the show, and it's a fascinating episode, Chris. Yeah, absolutely brilliant to get him on the show. I mean, we've had a lot of young kids uh, messaging uh, asking us to get Mark Wenhofer on the show. He's someone who I think a lot of young players are aspiring towards. He's had a great career over there in the US and he's got one eye now on the MLS, which is which is fantastic for him. Um, and potentially with the national team one day as well. So he's somebody who's gone off the radar a little bit in the Philippine football public because he's not in front of our eyes playing here in a domestic game. But wow, what a career he's had over there in the US and it's great for him to give his, uh, his own account and his own rendition of how things have been going over there stateside. Yeah, because it's been a few years, maybe five years since we've heard anything from Mark Winhofer when he suited up as a youngster for Global FC and, uh, you know, he turned up from the Kai Academy and, and we saw him as, as this raw, raw talent. And now you're seeing highlights of him playing in the United States and he's a proper baller, Chris. So it's nice to be able to catch up with him and especially at this time in his career when he's potentially on the cusp of something very, very exciting. Uh, so yeah, this episode of Mark Winhofer, if you enjoy it, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. Look for us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. We've heard you guys commenting about Mark Winhofer. Here he is. We hope you enjoy the show. And uh, yeah, that is it. Mark Winhofer on this Football Friday. Joining us all the way from Connecticut in the United States, we've got the pleasure of having Mark Winhofer on the show. How are you doing, Mark? Doing quite well. Thanks for having me. It's, it's uh, awesome to see you all grown up. You know, the last time I saw you, I think you were 15, 16, playing for Global. Now you're over there in the United States, captaining Yale University and uh, on the cusp of some exciting things in the Major League of Soccer. Man, it's been a long time since we've last seen you. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about today. Yeah, I know. I'm excited to see familiar faces. I mean, it's been a while since I've been back home and played soccer, but it's almost time to come home, ain't it? Chris, uh, you know a little bit about Mark. Uh, finally, we've got him on the show here. We've got an opportunity to catch up uh, with a young, talented footballer that is Mr. Winhofer. Yeah, it's great to get him on the show. He's, um, he's someone who... Uh, I met as a, as a young teenager when I first came here. A funny, funny story. I actually took my, one of my first sessions here in BGC Turf. And uh, after I finished the session, uh, Mark's father ran onto the pitch at BGC Turf and, and hugged me. 
I think it was the first time his, his son had seen some, uh, I want to say, above average coaching. Uh, so uh, that was that was quite an interesting introduction. This this uh, uh, silver fox cam- coming over and embracing me for, for giving a good session to his son. But um, yeah, from afar, we, we've watched Mark develop. Um, and obviously, like you said, on the cusp of some great things. So I know a lot of people have been following his career very closely over here, Jing. So it's, uh, it, it's nice to get some um, first-hand uh, accounts of how it's all been going over there. So I'm really looking forward to this one. So before we go back into the very beginning uh, and your roots here uh, in the Philippines of how people got to know you first, I'm, I'm quite excited about what's going on now, Mark. I mean, uh, you know, obviously COVID has disrupted a lot of things in the world of football, but you seem to be on uh, the verge of something exciting, as mentioned. Yeah, um, so I just, I just trained with the New England Revolution uh, second team about a week ago, um, leading up to the MLS Combine, but there's not really official MLS Combine. Um, Sporting Kansas City ran their own Combine and invo- invited the top college kids, and I was lucky enough to be invited. Um, and I think I showed pretty well there, and I've been talking to my agent, and he says there's some interest, but of course with COVID, you, we don't know how salaries are going to be like and how rosters are going to shift. So it's just a waiting game right now, but I'm pretty excited. So is, it, was the MLS always something in your mind that, that you were shooting at for, as a goal? Um, yeah, I think uh, my eldest brother, Ernest, uh, experienced like professional soccer uh, from a young age and quit quite early. So growing up in the States, MLS is something to always strive for. And I've always talked about it with my friends. Like, I think one day I'll be called upon to get drafted and the time's coming. And I'm just crossing my fingers and praying that it happens. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get on to your brother and your family history because I think there is, um, you know, there's some really interesting backstories with some of your family members. So I'm sure we'll come on to that in, in, a, in a minute. But what I'm quite interested to find out a little bit more about is how did that um, MLS sort of uh, combine situation un- unravel? Because normally it is quite a straightforward procedure. It's a case of you get the list of MLS um, uh, combine nominees, they go to the combine, and then they're eligible to go to the draft, um, usually around sort of January, February time, isn't it, the, the, the draft? But obviously yeah. with the COVID situation, it's all changed. So, so how, does that, how did that procedure come about with you? Was it something that was notified by the coaches at Yale or, or, or just going, it was something that went through your agent? Um, it was actually super last minute. Um, I think the combine was asking about me and I'm, I was just coming off an injury. So my coach said a week before the combine, he says, look, they want you to go. I think I can get you in. Um, and he's like, do you want to take the opportunity? And I just said, of course, like I wasn't at my match fitness, but I said, this is the only opportunity I have to get in front of all these coaches. And I'm a gamer. So when the time comes and push comes to shove, I'm going to perform at the end of the day. So it was like, because the MLS Combine is usually in December, so they scratched it because of COVID. So Sporting Kansas City said, like, for all these other colleges that weren't playing, I think the ACC, I don't even know what it is, the acronym is, but for all the other colleges that weren't playing, they were inviting the top college kids to come down to Kansas City and play in front of, I think there was 37 teams and 22 MLS teams and like 15 USL teams, USL championship teams. So it was a great opportunity. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, obviously, your situation, for those who don't know, is very different because um, Yale is, is part of the Ivy League setup. And, and the Ivy League announced quite early that they would not be participating in any fall uh, or winter sports. I know some of the colleges 
Um, like you said about the ACC schools, Atlantic Coast Conference, you should know that. Um, they, uh, they've, they've been going on. They, they, they've been playing games, a sort of condensed, shortened season, but they've been, um, they've been playing in games. So there's been this sort of disparity between some colleges participating in full sports and obviously your school declaring early through the Ivy League pro, uh, programs that, that said that they weren't going to participate. So obviously those, some of those kids, I'm assuming, will go to uh, either declare that their eligibility for the draft uh, will be sort of postseason. But how have you managed to keep fit in that window? Because I'm sure it must have been quite difficult for you to, to maintain your, the level and, and the fitness going into, into the combine. Um, well, our, our college was one of the only Ivy League schools to allow some athletic training. So we had that in the beginning, this beginning of the fall season. But then our COVID cases had a spike. So basically they said like midway through um, that we won't have any athletic training. So I found opportunities. Like I found a field far away. I drove there about 30, 40 minutes a day, went to go train by myself in the morning, and then had a little bit of a body workout in the afternoon. And then, of course, my brother, who I mentioned before, he came down to Yale right before the combine and trained me for a week and just kept really, like, match sharp. And then I felt really ready, and he still had a lot of confidence in me, so I felt really ready. So you're coming from a, a footballing family. I'm not too familiar with your family background as, as, as well as Chris, right? So obviously I, I've... I've just heard a little anecdote about your, your dad. He's very excited about football and making sure you guys develop correctly. But you also have a sibling. How many of you guys play football? Um, so I have two brothers that played. Um, so my eldest brother, um, he was at Sparta Prague when he was about 16. Um, we signed him, and then he decided it wasn't for him. So he's doing something else. And then my elder brother played for the Chicago Fire Academy and then played a season at Fordham and then decided it wasn't for him. Um, then my dad played soccer at Fordham as well back in the heydays of his athletic ability. And right now, really <laughs> uh, yeah, he, uh, we were blessed because my mom's also an athlete and bred absolute beast, I guess. Athletic beast. <laughs> wow. I know, you, you're missing out your sister as well. Your sister is... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, my sister uh, was in Broadway when she was about 16 and then is... Worked under Tracy Anderson for a bit and was a celebrity trainer, worked with Madonna, um, Stella McCartney, and now has her own brand. So everyone's doing yeah. Wow, wow. So uh, a family of achievers and athletes and performers, that's, that's got to be quite interesting. I mean, uh, does that mean there's a lot of competitiveness inside your family or are you guys all about uplifting one another to get yourselves up uh, in terms of your performance? I think we're, our family's pretty independent. Um, obviously, growing up and having my two older brothers and my sister being very much overachievers, it set high standard for myself. And it's as I've gone through the ages, I've always tried to set bars where my brothers were in terms of soccer and where my sister was, just being an overachiever. And then every step of the way, I had a benchmark of where I was compared to my brothers. So it's been a nice – for me, it's been very nice, and they've always been so supportive of me because I've been like a baby, because everyone's five years apart. So they've always been so supportive of me, trying to push me to get better in school and in soccer and in life. So it's been an uplifting experience for me. That must be nice. I don't know, I don't know what it's like to be in an uplifting family environment. I've got two <laughs> brothers that are trying to bring me down all the time. So I'm not, I'm not familiar with that, that type of environment. So uh, it's nice to hear someone who's managed to achieve with family members that are trying to bring them up. Yeah, it's, it's nice because we're all spread apart. Uh, there's, like, no, like, in-sibling rivalry. Like, 
every five years my mom pops out another baby and it's just <laughs> gotta instill like a family setting where we're overachievers but we have to help each other first to achieve what we want to do that's the key there the five-year gap right if it's just your next door if he's just one year older than you you want to always get one up over him right so i i like that i like that i might i might note that down for my family planning down the road huh? <laughs> it's, it's definitely it's definitely too late for me mark my, my kids are already close in age and i'm already feeling that that sibling rivalry so uh yeah i, I made that mistake your dad should have told, told me about this a lot sooner but uh, unfortunately I, I missed the boat but i want to talk a little bit about your upbringing because you've got quite a unique um and quite diverse um sort of life experiences at, at an early age so, so talk to us about how you sort of initially got into the game of football um because initially you were, you were from the, the Chicago area, correct? Yeah, so my, we grew up in Jersey. That's why we know so much about you, Chris. Uh, so we grew up in Malwa, New Jersey. And then my brother played for St. Benedict's uh, prep school. And then I and my brother started playing for World Class out in Jersey. But like, since I was two or three, I, always, I was always at the games, always had a ball at my feet. I was really fat, but I always had the ball at my feet. And then moved out to Chicago when I was about eight. Um, played for a really, really small club out there um, and made the B team. Uh, but like, I always had that work ethic and the chip on my shoulder was like, if I'm not at the top level, like I need to get there. So I kept working hard over in the next year, I was playing the A team and then playing a year above. And then the year where I was gonna move to an academy, to move to the Philippines, I uh, made my regional team, like region two. My mom didn't let me go back for the regional tournament, which I was pretty sad about. But the thing about like the Philippines was that that was really different was that there was no open fields. So I like when I went to the Philippines and I was training with my school team, didn't really have a club team yet. I was very upset. Like my growth was being stunted. And at that point, like I looked at myself in the mirrors, like, I don't know if I like soccer anymore because I'm not getting better. Like my progression is stunted. Then talked to my dad, uh, I said, look, you got to train more on your own. You got to find different ways. So I just kept training and training. And luckily enough, uh, went to the national team. And from there on, I just felt like the Phil I was a Filipino. And like, I felt really embracing the culture. And I was going to do my best to try to represent the Philippines the best I can on the field. And then so I was lucky enough to play with Chris or under Chris for a while in Kaya. And then when the national team all moved, moved to global, moved there and then was lucky enough uh, Lee Mason brought me up to the first team and then that was like the first time where I was like this is where I need to be I need to be in a professional setting so I can keep getting better and then I had that for two years I got called up to the men's national team once or twice under Dooley um, and then yeah then went to Yale and then had three great years there I improved a lot saw a different type of style of play so I haven't played in the states in a bit and then now we're here. Well, you glazed over quite a lot there. So let, let's backtrack a little bit because I, I want to, you, you, you did your full, full <laughs> playing career in about two minutes there. Um, yeah, I don't know how the depth you want me to be. Yeah, no, no, no I, want, I want the depth. I, I, I want to know because there's a couple of things that I think is quite interesting about your story that you, you just sort of touched upon there. One of them that I didn't know about, and I want to go back on it a little bit. So you just said that at the beginning, when you first started out, you were this chubby kid and you were playing on, on a B team in, in, in Chicago. So how, how did you manage to bridge that gap? I mean, obviously, that, that's quite a big step from going from you know, a, a young B team, overweight, young, young male to 
you've been the, the hot prospect that you were when you were when I found you here in, in the Philippines. So how did you get from from A to B in, in such a short period of time? So my dad, he was a goalkeeper, but he's, he tra started training very late and he always said, technical, technical, technical is going to save you at the end of the day. It says when you, your athletic ability is only going to take you so far, but your brain and your feet are going to take you to the next level. So what was nice about in Chicago, I had a basement and I had walls. So it would be about an hour a day with my dad, just hitting the ball back in the wall, different type of touches like inside, outside, different type of moves, and then a lot of like very tight dribbling. So I was a really fat kid. I was about 120 when I was like eight. Until I was like, <laughs> yeah. That's my current weight. That's my current I was a big, big boy, and, uh, but I can move like I was 60 pounds. Like I had really, really quick feet. Could I last 90 minutes? No, I stayed in the center circle. But when the ball was at my feet, it was glued to my foot. And that was just because my dad instilled that technical ability is what you need. And I think that's the strongest part of my game. So was that something that you continued to develop even as you progressed your game? Obviously, you, you shed your, your puppy fat. Was it something yeah. that you continued to, to, to focus on? Was that individual development with day in, day out? Yeah, uh, like the wall, the wall is like my home. Like that's, if, I'm ha if I had a bad game, I think I just go back to the wall and just hit about like 500 each foot just to get my brain like in level. Uh, I think technical ability and just being able to do things with the ball, like just striking the ball, ball properly and doing some like some very simple skill moves. Uh, that's what make the game beautiful, playing very simple, but doing it correctly. And that's something I've been trying to develop ever since and trying to perfect still. Very interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody who is so um, obsessed with uh, getting their technique correct in that manner, you know? Uh, but when we, did you want to discuss anything prior to Global, uh, Chris? Because that's where I'm headed. Um, there's one thing I want to touch on before we touch on that, because that's a bit of a sensitive subject, that one. That was, that was, our, that was our parting of the ways at a, a very uh, early stage of our, our relationship. But... Aside from your father, who's obviously a big influence, and your brother, who, who you already mentioned as well, I, I know a little bit about um, your elder brother's backstory. So when he was in New Jersey, there was, a, there was a, a couple of Clifton Stallions who were sort of renowned in that area for producing top quality talent. And Ernest's older brother was in the same team, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, or Giuseppe Rossi. Uh, who obviously went on to play for Manchester United, played for, played for Italy. Um, Danny Chatella, who um, I ended up playing with and became, became quite good friends with, as well as Johnny Barajo, both of whom had um, professional careers in Europe uh, and also in, in the US. And obviously your brother went on to play um, in, in, in uh, Sparta Prague for, for a while before he obviously decided that he was going to come back because he... Um, was he didn't, didn't enjoy it. He didn't, didn't enjoy his time there. That, that was something that your, your father told me um, when one of our many coffee breaks that we would have together. So with all those influences that, that surrounded you, both positive and, and negative growing up, um, what were some of the things that you learned from being surrounded by such a plethora of sort of footballing quality and, and people who would end up to become football royalty? What were some of the things you learned from, from being around that from such a young age? Well, you just learn tendencies that what makes a great player um, I think from a young age, I think watching soccer games every day that were in person with my brothers or watching it online and them critiquing it, you get to see what people actually look for in a soccer player. So 
So having that instilled at a young age was very beneficial. And I don't think I, there was any negatives. Uh, I mean, if you can say like my brother not enjoying it, it was a negative because he always said like, you always had the re reinforcement of saying like, if you want to do it, you can do it. I see something in you. And that's the positivity that's in my family. It's like, if my family can believe in me, I can believe in myself as well. So just growing up in that environment and just seeing great players play, like that St. Benedict's team when he was 16, it might've been the best soccer team I've ever seen that was under 20. And just seeing the quality at such a young age, you're just like, I need to do more so I can get there faster than these kids are. And that's always been my mentality. It's like, the kid might start off better than me now, but in a month or two after playing with him, I'm going to be better than yeah, and that's a great mentality to have, Jing. Obviously, we, we've had people and we've really, although it's a football podcast, a lot of the people we've had on the show, Jing, have really talked about their mentality. And that seems to be a running theme, doesn't it? Of that, not necessarily being the best from the outset, but, but having that drive and determination to, to want to develop, to want to improve day in, day out, week in, week out. And um, th th those small incremental gains are, are things that compound over time. And that's often what's led to the players having such great careers and hopefully something that Mark can continue as he goes along his playing journey. Now, I might be mistaken, but when, I, when, when you first dressed up for Global, that was for a, a League Cup, was it? Was it a... It seemed like it was oh, a different... Yeah. Right? It was like there was the UFL Cup and then there was the UFL and there was another co competition that they put up. And um, I started seeing all of these youngsters come in into, to Global and you were part of that group. And I was thinking like 15, 16 year olds, like this is way too early for these guys to be coming out here and performing. And I was, I, I was a little disheartened as to see, uh, to see that Global was going to be put out a weekend lineup, so to speak. But when I saw you guys play, I was like, whoa, my God, these 15, 16 year olds are like, they're thin and they look slight in frame and they look like maybe they're not going to be able to match them physically. But technically, you guys were very, very, very good. And I, I remember, um, thinking like, man, these guys are going to be quite exciting to look at. And now you're here, 21 years of age, and you're on the cusp of, of MLS. What did Global uh, contribute to your development um, when you look, at, look back at it now uh, from where you are? Well, I would also say Kaya did a lot for me. Um, I'd say Kaya was the first team. I think I was 14 when Kaya brought me in to train with the men's team. And I think why I left was because I wasn't going to get involved with that again until, like, the end of the season. But what Global did for me was, I think, them being in the AFC Cup and seeing the level of other teams in Asia and seeing that we were very competitive and to see the players they brought in. I know my first year was, like, with Raul Martinez was there and a couple other guys from Mexico. And they saw something in me. So when you just have a lot of people believing in you, you start to believe it more in yourself and just playing with men day in and day out, you start to get more physical. You start to think faster. You start to play faster. And then when you go back down to your age group, there's a stark difference. And like at the end of the day, without that experience in a men's setting, I definitely wouldn't have been as successful in college just because of the physicality, but training with them, and then providing a stepping stone into college really provided me with a fruitful career at Yale. I think it was the I think it was a charity cup. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, when you when you made your day, because I think we had a we had a bunch of young guys come out and play as well. And then I remember you. Uh, I think um, 
Josh Miller and, and Marco, that, that's really when you guys started to, um, to sort of push forward into that men's setting and, and play a lot more at, at, at that men's level. Um, yeah. yeah, and then obviously alongside that, like you said, there was an involvement, there was an attachment with the youth national team as well. Uh, I mean, you've had some sort of mixed experiences, haven't you, within the national team settings, both, both positive and negative. So describe to me some of the experiences that you've had with the national team uh, and which ones do you think have been the, the sort of more beneficial in your footballing career? Well, I think any experience you can step out of the field and represent your country is definitely beneficial to your soccer career. Um, I think when we were younger, we played against Japan and lost 9-0. But that wasn't, that wasn't something negative because you can just look at it and be like, these guys are that much better than us and we just have to work harder. Um, but I think like every time I stepped down on the field and just being in that setting, having a training camp over the summers, you're training twice, three times a day, and then you're playing against national team. I don't think when I was 120 pounds, I would ever expect to be on a national team. So just having that experience of representing a country that my mom loves so much and now I do because I've lived there for so long. It just meant a lot to me. And just to give it, be given a chance to represent it has been, it's been great. I know in my age groups, a lot of the like, college teams you know, let the players play. So like half the time, it would be half the squad our coach really wanted. So the results didn't really speak for itself or the talent for that age group. But, I mean, you're playing against the best players in other countries, so you're learning a lot as well. What was your last experience with the national team? Was it um, under 23s or...? Yeah, AFF uh, U22s. Yeah, that was like another experience where a lot of teams didn't let their players go. Yeah. So it was like a depleted squad. But I mean, that ex I think that experience and going back to Asia before my junior year really helped me excel and win like Ivy League Player of the Year the next, the next fall. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of chatter, wasn't there, Jing, about him potentially coming out for the Sea Games? Was that was that ever something that was on the cards, or was that just something that couldn't fit in with the schedule? So, if like we, my team did very well last year. I think it was like our first Ivy League championship in 25, 26 years. Um, and I talked to my coach and I said, "This is something I want to do. Like, I know I've been having a great year here, but I think my team can step in for me." And I think this is like one of the opportunities for me to propel my career to the next step. But as the season dragged on, we kept winning games. And especially if you're a coach and you're going to make history for yourself. And he really turned the pro or coach standard really turned the program around. He said at the end of the day, like you're going to be playing in the NCAA tournament. You're never going to have that experience back. So he kept me, he kept me in and I didn't get to go to see games, but it was fun to watch. I kept up with all the games. Yeah. How, many, how, long, how, good, how far did you go in the tournament last year? Uh, we lost in the first round. Uh, all of our players, our spine of our group was injured just because we played an extreme amount of minutes. And it was the, the team that played against us uh, did what we did usual or did to other teams. It's just high press the first 30 minutes and see what happens. And they did that very well. And they scored three goals in 30 minutes. And the game never looked back. So it was tough. Yeah, I mean, if you, I know what it's like. I had exactly the same scenario, Mark. So my senior year was the um, Sea Games also here in the Philippines. It was actually done in Bacolod. And um, the uh, conference final was on the day that we had to announce the roster spots uh, for uh, the Sea Games at that time. I think it was in 2005, Gene, correct if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah so I said listen wait to see how the conference final goes I anticipate we're going to win so you know if we if we win obviously I'm probably going to stay uh, but if we lose then I'll, I'll fly straight out uh, and, and lo and behold we uh, we yeah we won we ended up going down to South Orange we played uh, Seton Hall we lost first round same as you uh, and I had to forego that experience and probably similar to you I, I watched it from afar but Bacolod was even more rowdy than it was up here in Manila I think we had 35 40,000 people my younger brother my middle brother Philip came out and played instead um, and said it was one of the best experiences of his life so unfortunately um, yeah he got to experience it but but I didn't um, any regrets from you watching it from uh, from afar? Is it, is it something that you wish you were, you were able to participate in, or were you just happy to see some of your former teammates shine in this competition? No, I think with any life decision you have, you can't regret anything. You made it, you live with it. So I think watching it from afar, I was honestly so proud that we showed well. I think in other tournaments, um, we like what I've experienced. We haven't shown well. We haven't showed what the Philippines is capable of. So this year, upcoming year, almost making it to the semifinals, like, I was so proud of the boys. Like, those were like my brothers, those were, those were my, those were my family. So I can't, I can never regret that. Yeah, I, I wish I was as magnanimous as you. Unfortunately, I, uh, I, I, I'm still obviously very upset with my own decision. So uh, maybe I need to let it, maybe I need to let it go, Jing. Be a bit more grown up about my, uh, my, my decision making. But um, I, I want to touch a little bit on, on the Yale side because, like you're a big role model to a lot of people here. You, you might not appreciate it, but I think um, yourself and, and people like uh, William Valentos, who we've also had on the show, you know, these guys who have, uh, you guys who've gone over to America and, and have seemingly done really, really well. I think you, you've created this pathway that a lot of young players are, are really aspiring towards and, and, and wish to follow. So I just want to touch upon that a little bit because I remember having a conversation with you uh, I think it was pitch side, you know, in, in between one of the games. It might have even been around the sort of charity cup period. And we were talking a little bit about that, um, the, the colleges that you were looking at. And I don't ever really recall Yale being on, on the radar. I think you, you looked at a couple of other schools that seemingly, um, Wisconsin or Wisconsin Milwaukee. I remember you, you went to that school or that was, that seemingly was, was your, your sort of the pick that you wanted to go to at the time. So I just want, um, uh, Two questions, really. The first part is, is how did you end up at Yale? But also, how did you go about the process of uh, doing the whole recruitment um, cycle and, and finally coming to that conclusion? Yeah, so it was very interesting. I think when I was out at Wisconsin, uh, Coach Trask is someone that I really look up to and someone that I've known since I was like 12. So it just felt like home to me at first. And then my, my parents were like, why don't, why don't you try Ivy League? Let's see what we can do. Let's get you a very good degree. And obviously I had the grades for it. So I started touring around. I looked at Princeton, Dartmouth. And when I went to Princeton, it didn't really feel like home. I went to Dartmouth and it was like a rushed uh, visit. But they were a very good side. They were always the top 25. But the next year after my freshman year, the coaches left. So thank God I didn't go. But when I went to Yale, um, it really felt like home. It was very close to my family. Um, Coach Standard and Coach Love, who were on staff when I first got there, obviously the coaching staff's changed, really made me feel wanted at the school. They really wanted me to be there and be a vital role um, in part of the rebuilding process. And that's something that I've always wanted to be a part of. I think I've always been a part of like teams that have started out very well, but I wanted to see if I can see if my talents can 
build a dynasty. So I, that, that really enticed me. Um, so yeah, it was very tough. I mean, getting recruited from the Philippines is, is super hard just because we're not known as a footballing country. So every time I would send out tapes, all the coaches would respond like, you look very good, but what is the Philippines? Like what level is this? So come out to our camps and obviously did well at these camps. And that's when the talking started. Um, but Yale, it's always a joke that I run with my coach. I was the last recruit in my recruiting class. I was supposed to get my offer my junior year summer, um, going, going into my junior year. But then Coach Standard said, you know, we're not really looking for defenders um, or midfielders. So I, but I really wanted to go to the school. So I, when he told me that, my dad started freaking out. You know how my dad is. He, he wants everything in <laughs> order. He wants everything. He wants my future to be in a straight line. But I, I just knew very weirdly that he's going to succumb to my good looks and my soccer ability. So after a year, after a year, um, it was my senior year. I just moved to Chicago and was playing at the Soccers, um, which he has a pretty close affiliation with because he uh, coached Andrew, coached at Michigan State. And when I made the team, he said, "On New Year's Eve, Mark, you're going to be you're going to be on our team." And I said, "I looked at my dad and my mom, and they're both crying." I said, "I told you guys, got to wait, be patient." So, so. Correct me if I'm wrong here. So I, 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 tr I struggled to put this timeline together just a little bit. Even in my research, I, I was struggling to put this together. So you went back to the U.S. for a period. Yeah. Uh, so through your, still in, within that high school time yeah. frame. Yeah. So I left the Philippines after the U19 AFF championships in Vietnam. And then I moved back to the suburbs in Chicago where I grew up from 8 to 12. And then, yeah, finished like my half of my senior year there, and then went to right. Yale. Okay, perfect. So right, so that, so that would have been what January of your senior was, year, your your final was, semester. It was November. I moved or okay, moved in October, somewhere around that time. And was that was that totally football driven? Was that was that with the with the with the thought of actually making sure that you got that offer secured from whether it was Yale or from somebody else? No, it was just it was just my mom's job. Um, but I think in hindsight, it did help me get recruited, um, just because the coaches can see you play more often instead of playing on the national team or in a men's league or a professional league in the Philippines. But once I made the team, my coach knew that I was actually a player and it's not someone that's just on tape. And so, like maybe a week after I made the team, he gave me my offer. That was brilliant. Okay, so if it wasn't going to be yeah, what, what was going to be your, your next option? Or did you always just think you were going to end up going there? Well, I, at first, I really wanted to go to Wisconsin um, for a very long time. I think even when I left in, when I was 12, I think I, like Wisconsin was always on my mind. Um, but then, man, when I just stepped on campus at Yale, it was just like, this is it. Like, this is my home for the next four years. Like, I, this, I have to do everything I have to do to get here. So yeah, ever since I walked, so it was like my junior year summer when I walked on campus, I was like, yeah, this is it. And then with regards to that recruiting process, so you said that you went to the ID camps and you were, you were trying to put yourself in front of the coaches. How, how many of those were, were you doing? Like, were you going just to the Yale ones? Were you going to a multitude of different um, college ID camps? How did that work? So yeah, you have to, I think 
coming from the Philippines, you have to be very meticu uh, meticulous on how you choose your camps. I think you have to know which schools you want to go to beforehand. I think going to like maybe one big ID camp would be very helpful if you don't really have an idea of what school you want to go to. But I went to the schools that I wanted to go to. I went to like the Princeton one, I went to the Wisconsin one, and then I went to the Yale one. And then I went to Northwestern one um, just because they had more schools there and just got more looks. Um, but I did that for two summers and then it worked out pretty well. So it was been between what, your sophomore and then your junior summers, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, sophomore going to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that's something that seems to be a general theme that's been running through, hasn't it, Jing? I mean, we had the same conversation with, um, with William Valtos. And look, Mark, you, you know as well as I do, a lot of the IS kids, you know, they all want to go to, to America. They're the ones that play football, they, they all want to go to, to a top school. And they're just unsure of the, the landscape of how it kind of works. And I know it can be like a long and arduous process, but um, if you're looking at how you did it and how William Valtos did it, uh, Jing, it seems to be a similar sort of route where right, it's just a case of really putting yourself out there, being really willing to go out on a limb, being in front of the, the, the college coaches, putting yourself um, in, in the best possible um, light in, in those types of scenarios and, and giving yourself the best opportunity to be seen by coaches of this caliber because I think one of the big problems that a lot of Filipino uh, players are going to have is exactly the one that Mark experienced which is you look great on video but we, we can't we can't gauge the level you know we, we can't really conceptualize uh, you know what is a Kaya under 15s against the Stallions under 15s how, how, how does that level compare to an under 15 level here in the US is it is it the equivalent to the academy level here so I think that's um that's a running theme and, and it's great advice for anyone um who's looking to aspire and following your footsteps Mark is you're just gonna have to go out there and, and really try to put yourself in front of as many college coaches as possible yeah like if you if you put in the work, I don't think if you were getting put into any situation, the amount of work you put in before will give you the confidence to strive well or to do well in these camps. So if you know you're confident in your ability, you're going to do well. But I think the key there as well, um, Chris, is that you have to start earlier, right? I mean, I remember when I was going into college, I thought about my college life in senior year, right? So you got to start thinking about this while you're in sophomore, junior year, already laying the seeds for what you can hopefully um, sow down the road, right? So um, for those kids that are tuned in right now, if you are under 14, under 15, you already got to be looking. You already got to be looking at what colleges you want to go to, what region you are thinking about if you do want to go to the United States. So that's definitely great advice, you know, that you got to be a little bit more meticulous about your career if you want to pursue um, college ball in the States. So um, you can't be all free-spirited uh, like myself you know who just like wherever the wind blows or who knows what, uh, what what course I'm going to take not nah, it can't be like that so if you're going to be uh, a footballer you gotta you, you gotta make sure that you mind all your p's and q's so that's that's fantastic advice uh in that regard so what do you what course are you taking by the way in Yale I'm, I'm curious to know uh economics economics okay. major yeah? yeah was that always something that interested you no comment <laughs> <laughs> So, so I'm guessing that's the, is that mum's side? Is that mum's mum's influence there? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a big science, science guy, but med school didn't really appeal to me. Um, so I think econ was the best of both worlds. It still has a lot of math and a lot of reading and theory. So it was something I've been interested in and it's very transferable to the business world, which I want to go into after my playing career. Yeah, that's great. 
And what does a day in a life look like for, for you on, on campus at Yale? Because I have this, I went to college in America, but my, my experience, I'm guessing, is very different to those of you who go to an Ivy League school. So uh, for those who are listening, what, what does a day in a life look like for you going to, to, to Yale? Well, it depends like how you block your schedule. So I usually try to make Fridays all clear. So I have no classes. I can just sleep in, making sure I'm ready for the, the training session right before the game. Um, but a usual day would be two to three classes that range from 50 minutes to 115 minutes. Um, and all these classes range from like nine, we're only allowed to have classes from nine to three. So it's just wake up, uh, go straight to class for me or shower beforehand. I don't want to be stinky. Um, then go to class. And then after the first class, it's usually the second one. And then you go eat lunch with some of the boys on the team or some of your friends from class. And then you hit your last class, you leave a little bit early to catch the bus so you make sure you're on time for treatment, um, making sure you're all ready and set to go for training. And then after training, you eat with the whole team at one of the residential colleges. And then after that, you bant with the boys for a little bit and someone's sweet. And then you get your work started around 8.39 and work until 11 and then repeat the process the next day. It's clockwork. Yeah. yeah. And, and how's it going for you? Like, what, what's your GPA right now? <laughs> Are you, not saying that. Anymore. Not saying it. Oh, my gosh. Papa Ernest is not going to be happy with you. Uh, uh, it's, it's a good GPA, but I'm not going to broadcast it to the world. It's weird. <laughs> okay, all right. I was just wondering. Like, I, I always knew you was an academic. Like, I think a lot of people um, were, were very generous in, in how well you were um, you know, academically. And I think that's, that's something that people sort of struggle with is, is getting that balance between um, managing your time as, as a footballer and then also, you know, getting the, the, the right level of academics as well. Because um, at the end of the day, your football career is only, it's very short, you know, and I think if you can maximise that opportunity within an academic setting, it's going to hold you in good stead, not just throughout your footballing career, but, but also beyond, which I think is really, really important. And it's something that a lot of, certainly in my experience, people in around my sort of peer group, you know, they're really struggling now. You know, now they're exiting the game and they're trying to find their next move and, and they're struggling because they, they, they didn't have that grounding, that foundation level, which obviously you're going to get from, from um, hopefully graduating from, from a fantastic um, academic institution. Um, but just to sort of bring this, this part of it to a close, I mean, you've had, a, like you said, a glittering career at Yale. I mean, you've had a lot of individual accolades and, and the team seemingly has has turned around since, since you've been there. What, what's been some of the highlights as, as, as being part of the, the Yale soccer program for you? Well, I think I, 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 I have way more lowlights than high, uh, highlights. Um, yeah? Well, what are some of those then? Yeah, tell us some of those then. So my freshman year, um, I came in and probably the fittest I've ever been in my life. Um, super ready and gung-ho about the season. And then I injured my foot during a practice fitness test. And so I, started, I already started off on the back foot, um, trying to get in the coach's favor, trying to get in the lineup or whatever. So my first three, four weeks of the season was just coming off the bench and like providing like minutes just for other guys to get rest. And that's obviously something I've never experienced and it was really tough for me to go through because I've never been in someone's shadows for that long. Like I, always, I expected to come to Yale and play right away. I think everyone in my class did as well. So just experiencing that as a class that was ranked so high and just being put in our place really was a wake-up call to say, I have to do more. So I just started training by myself. And then by the end of the season, I was starting an Ivy League play. Uh, my second season came in super fit, was ready again. 
was in the starting 11 during preseason and everything, and I got mono out of nowhere. Didn't do anything. I stayed in my room all, all, all preseason, like during the season, during training. But I just got mono randomly, and I was out for three weeks again. And then I started back from zero, and then worked my way back into the starting lineup by Ivy League play. And then this last year was just – it was all sunshine and butterflies. Like, everything fell in our right hands. I mean, right, right from the get-go. We lost, we lost in preseason, which has never happened before. And I think that was a wake-up call for us because we were all like, oh, this is the year we're going to do it. But then when we lost that game to Rhode Island, I think everyone was like, we got to get our shit together. And then we went out to Syracuse and Colgate. We tied both those games. Um, and then when we came back and beat UConn on our home turf – it just something felt right. Something felt magical in that moment. And we never really looked back from that. Yeah. So then obviously brings us up to the current day. I mean, I think what everyone wants to know now really is, is what are the, the future plans? I mean, obviously you, you mentioned a little bit about the M MLS combine um, and getting a few looks with, with, with some of the clubs. Like what, what is the progression for you? Hopefully like what, what, what is, if you were to map out your, your journey in the next couple of years as, as Papa Ernest would like to do? Like, what, what would that look like for you in an ideal situation? Oh. An ideal situation is that I get drafted. And then, obviously, with MLS draft, for people who don't know, it's just you get drafted and the team owns your rights. doesn't mean you get a contract. So you go into preseason. So, obviously, I want to get drafted and be able to go into the preseason with the team that drafts me and earn my right to get a contract for that team. And hopefully, like, my first year, I play a few minutes. I'm always rostered and just progress my way through. I'm not expecting to go into an MLS team and starting right away. I think that's yeah. unrealistic for a college student. Um, but I, I work hard, and I think by in my second, third year, I can be in the mix of getting in the starting lineup. But that's all if everything goes well. I mean, you know, in soccer, nothing, is, nothing goes as you plan. So if the draft doesn't go well or if my preseason doesn't go well, then that's something I have to think about now. But I think focusing all my energy on the draft and um, obviously making a team is my biggest focus right now. Has there been any focus at all from you in looking at how the uh, ASCOS development team has gone on this season? Did you have an eye on that this year? Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a lot of boys on the team. Um, I mean, Coach Cooper has talked to me at length. Kind of reminds me I have to respond to him. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I think what Coach Cooper is doing and Chris is something fantastic. I think it's long overdue for the Philippines. I mean, there's Filipinos around the world that don't really know what's the setup in the Philippines. And bringing that developmental team to the Philippines will definitely attract more of the half Filipinos or full Filipinos abroad. And it's definitely something that's on my cards if the draft doesn't go right. Mm. So it is something Cause that's Yeah, because Simi is a pathway, isn't it, Jing, for a lot of guys in his, even from your age category specifically. I mean, you've seen guys like Marco Casombre, obviously he's been involved with the club set up here. He's, he's gone over to Thailand and, and done, uh, done his stint there. He's, he's since come back. Um, but there seemingly is that sort of pathway now. I mean, you mentioned there, if obviously MLS has been your primary uh, focus for now but is that something either down the line or if as a secondary option that, that, that you would find appealing yeah no I, for sure I think the vision that coach Cooper has and his connections has definitely enticed me to think about it deeply I mean I still have my spring semester to go with school so 
but I want to be playing. So if everything goes well, if my mom approves it, you know, at the end of the day, it's my mom and dad's decision to where I go. But if they approve it, I mean, that's definitely something I want to do. I mean, my grandmother's over there and I have a lot of family that I haven't seen in a while. So it makes sense to come home for a little bit. You mentioned earlier that you were part of a national team for Region 2, or sorry, for the regional team. Region 2, where, where, where is your mother from? In My mother is from Manila, yeah. From Manila. So yeah, what's that Region 2 um, area? So the Region 2 is, it's like the, I think when I started doing it, it wasn't as big as maybe when Chris was going through like the college setting, like the Olympic Development Program. I think they started to move away, the state started to move away from it like mm. probably the early 2000s and move more towards an academy or late 2000s and move more to an academy setting but it was just basically you go into camp with your state and then if you make the state team you go to a regional camp and then from that regional camp they choose the best 22 players to represent that region in the regional tournament in Arizona or California or Florida. Mm, I see I see so this was in the United States I, I had my mate I thought you were playing regionally in the Philippines. I would have been shocked. Like, I don't know any of too many regional competitions here. I thought we had backtracked a little bit, but okay. All right, that makes more sense to me now. Okay. So that's, that's, that's great. I mean, sorry, Chris, I just wanted to, so you still got one eye on the national team, right? And, and did you captain the last time that you came out here as well, the under 22 team in the AFF? Weren't you the captain? Yeah, yeah, for like some of the games, I mean, Obviously, I wasn't in pre. I wasn't in the camp with them, but like Coach Coach Antone, Coach Popoy, uh, like made me a captain for some of the games, which was obviously a privilege to have to captain the side that's representing your country. Right, I remember that. That was when the the tournament with a lot of the college boys couldn't come out. That's right. I recall now. Um, everybody withheld their players because it was in conflict with the UAP, which is. A real disappointment, you know. I mean, national team and college competition—it was, it was a bit of a, a disappointment. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off there, Chris. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. It was actually alluding to some of the questions that I wanted to ask for, for Mark as well, because I think obviously the national team, the full national team, must be on your radar now. Um, you know, like I said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of buzz around you. Obviously, if you can get yourself into an MLS side, it puts you in a, in a great position. But obviously, the national team now is very different to how it was probably even when you were here. Like the, the, the level is, 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 is significantly better than it was. I mean, obviously, even in the, the, the time from when you were here, like we've qualified for the Asian Cup, for example. So um, my first question is, is, is that still something that you, you harbour a strong desire to to want to suit up for the full national team? And, and then also, like, what... What do you see as things that you need to do in order to try to force your way into, into that setup? Well, that is definitely something that's always been my radar. I think rep representing your men's national team is definitely, for a footballer is definitely something that's always on your radar. What do I need to do? I mean, obviously be the best player on the pitch when I go back to the Philippines is something I need to do. Is it realistic? No, but it's the mindset that you have to have and make sure that the person next to you is not even close to where you are and winning for that spot. I know when I get there, I won't be in the mix, but as I said before, it's when I get to places, I'm never the first person that's getting chosen just because of my body type, just because like how I look. But by the end of the day, with my hard work, I think I'll be able to suit up. All right. Man, 
Um, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised whatsoever um, that you, if you would be suiting up for the national team in the near future. Um, but, I mean, there's really exciting times for you. I mean, you're at the end of your college um, education. You've got the MLS draft hopefully coming up. Um, you know, you're obviously on the radar of the national team coach. Um, you're still eligible to play for the SEA Games next year if that comes around and if you are available for that. So, um, you know, the world is your oyster as, as of this moment in time. So uh, it's, it's great being able, to, being able to catch up with you um, at this point in your career, you know, to, to regroup and, and get us all caught up on, on your development uh, as a player. Yeah. I mean, it's, thank you for having me. I mean, I know the world's my oyster right now, but if the MLS draft doesn't go according to plan, then I'm, the world's not my oyster. Then I have to figure out my life from there. But I'm just focusing all my positive energy towards it, and hopefully everything works out for the best. But we'll see from there. Yeah, that's, that's great, Mark. I mean, I, I'm going to be quite honest with you. Like, when, when you were here, again, it's quite difficult to, to gauge the level. And, and I, I always saw you as a, you know, one of the top players in your age group. You had a very good age group. Uh, there was a lot of good players in that age category. Um, you know, there, was, there was a huge buzz around Mark. I was as a young kid who, who obviously has gone on to have a professional career. There was other guys in there like Rocky, um, Troy Limbo have gone on to, to do pretty well. And you was in that mix as well. And... Yeah, you know, I always felt you were a very good player. And I think technically you, you, you're you very strong. Like you said, you had some physical um, deficiencies or, or areas of the game that, that probably weren't your strongest suit, but you had other aspects that, that, that compensated for that. I, I never really pegged you as being as successful as you have been, though. That, that, that's what, in, in, certainly in the college game, I, I always felt initially that that you you might struggle with, you know, if you're going to go to a, like a Lafayette where you're just getting, uh, you know, three guys come in, they're going to play for 10 minutes, then they're going to sub them out, then they're going to bring in the next three guys and the next three guys. I just thought that ground and pound nature of the college system wouldn't necessarily suit you. And I always thought, felt that maybe you'd be better suited to, to staying here. But one thing that I didn't account for is, is this mindset of continually trying to evolve and continue try, continually trying to improve. I didn't really account for that. And I didn't really know that you were this uh, incredibly overweight uh, kid as an eight-year-old who managed to go from the B team to the A team and, and, and kind of um, forge your way in, in some, from such an early age. I wasn't aware of that, Mark. And I think that's something that, um, you know, you see that a lot. You see that a lot with players. And it is definitely a running theme with the people that we've met here is it's not always the guys who you see as a, as a young kid or as a teenager who are the, the standout players who end up forging these great careers. A lot of the time, it's those who, who just have that right mindset and are willing to push through those barriers and, and, and end up excelling. So um, although I'm surprised, I'm, I'm really pleased. I'm really pleased that you've gone on to have such a, such a good collegiate career. I'm really disappointed that you weren't able to, to fulfill it in your senior year because the... I know a lot of people still in the college game and they, they speak very highly of both you and the programme. Uh, and I think you would have had a, had a really great season had it not been curtailed by the, um, the COVID-19 situation. But I think the key here, Jing, is, is that I think the best is yet to come for you. So I'm really excited to see how things develop. And, and, I, and I disagree with you. I don't think the world will not be your oyster if it, if it doesn't work out with the MLS. Like I think there's, there's going to be so many more opportunities for you, Mark, if it doesn't work out. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people here who... Um, are watching you from afar 
uh, young kids that are aspiring towards, aspiring towards you, um, looking to follow in your footsteps. There are a lot of coaches who are looking at you thinking you've got an abundance of ability and can do great things. And there's a lot of people within the football public who've been watching you and, and are really watching your development. So uh, from that perspective, Mark, it's been really great that you, you came on the show today, giving us um, your insights and, and into um, your mindset and how you've got to where you are today. And I think if you continue on that pathway, Mark, I think the best is yet to come. So um, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really, really appreciate it. Guys, and hopefully see you all soon. I mean, hopefully you can get back up there so that muscle doesn't come down. Definitely going to be heading out there to the Philippines uh, shortly after. Well, hopefully we don't. Hopefully we don't see you for a while. If, and if we do, it's just it's just for a vacation or you're suiting up for the national yeah. team. So, you know, fingers crossed everything goes well with you with the uh, MLS Combine and, and, and all the best with the draft as well. Thanks, guys. Hopefully we'll be... Hopefully we'll be seeing you soon talking about the new team that you're on or whatever update that you have going on. And we'll be happy to talk about it or whatever chapter that may be. Um, we appreciate the time, Mark. And if you guys at home or in your car appreciated this conversation with Mark Winhofer, please do subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Uh, look for us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram as well. Drop us a line. I know um, Mark has been actually a subject of a lot of attention on Facebook. A lot of people have been on groups updating the public on what you're about, where you're at in your career right now, and there's been a lot of interest. So I know there are people who would be interested in finding out your journey. So uh, if you guys like that stuff, please do comment and leave us uh, a review if possible. All right, so that is it. Uh, on this Football Friday with Mark Winhofer. We look forward to catching you on the next episode of Across the Line.